0: Well, God bless you. Anybody ever said that to you? When we say that to somebody, what it means is may the favor of God be on your life, be on your family, be on your future. So that's what I want to say today. Wherever you're making your connection with us at Christ's Journey, Gables Campus, Kindle Campus, across the nation, around the world, through Church Online, God bless you. May his favor find you, especially concerning the topic at hand. Now, Jesus connected with people The same way you do, the same way I do, in conversations, whether it was at a well, aka the water cooler, or on a street, or in a home, people would come to him in the heat of the day or the dark of night, wanted to talk with him about their lives, and then hear what he had to say. Sometimes the conversations were hard, sometimes controversial, and yet engaging in the conversation opened minds and then changed lives. Speaking of that, let me thank the many of you who are already engaging the conversation with others, friends, neighbors, loved ones, and you are inviting them to join you at Christ's Journey for Easter. This is the time to do it. And let me thank you because that's the way lives can be changed as we engage the conversation with Jesus. Now, I also did a search recently on topics that you should avoid. You should never talk about. I checked some blogs out. You know, people used to say, never talk about religion or politics in polite company. That meant in public because they were considered rude. Now, the lists I saw were longer than that, and they were topics to be avoided, not because they're rude, but because they could be self-limiting in some way. For instance, they said, never talk about these things at work, money, Politics, sex, religion, or complaints. Complaints about your health, complaints about your family, complaints about your spouse, or your plans for another job. You know, these are topics to be avoided at work. It's not that they don't matter. It's just that they can be tough in public, right? And here's one of the things that I love about Jesus. When the topics get tough, he doesn't back down. He doesn't shy away. He knows how to engage the conversation in a way that lifts it to another level and brings the blessing of God, the favor of God on a person's life. And people who follow Jesus learn how to do the same thing. That's what the Jesus conversations are about. So far, we've joined him in conversations about racism and prejudice, about sexual abuse, sexual trauma and abuse. Another is from that tough topic list. It's money. Now, this is not a topic that we typically talk about in public, at least not our personal numbers. We don't talk about in public, right? We talk about the stock market. We'll talk about the Fortune 500 list, you know, or we can be intrigued Um, by uh, the lifestyles of the rich and famous. And yet Jesus engaged conversations around this topic, sometimes in direct teaching, sometimes in telling stories. Like two-thirds of Jesus' parables are about money. Now, don't get nervous. I'm not asking for money. This this message is not about giving to the church. And yet today we join Jesus in three conversations with some very wealthy people perhaps some of the most wealthy in Israel. If they had had a list of the richest people in the nation, these men would be on it somewhere. And we're going to see, while they have wealth in common, we'll also see that they're very different from one another. They're different ages. One is likely in midlife, riding the success of his career to the top of his field. Another is in his elder years, kind of a senior statesman. And a third is a young adult who is seeking to sort out his life plan and his future trajectory that he hopes will be up and to the right. Conventional wisdom would tell us that one of them was seen as filthy rich, another one as legitimately wealthy and blessed by God, and then the third as someone who hit the jackpot by birth, or as they say, he chose the right parents. Two of the conversations happen in private, the third is semi-private because the disciples are there to overhear it and then be bewildered by it, as usual. But in each of the three conversations, it's the wealthy person who initiates it. They wanna know what Jesus says. And all three are seeking Jesus out in different places. And all three have this in common. In terms of wealth, they have everything they could want only to discover it's not enough. What do you do when you have it all and still feel like it's not enough? And as ironic as that sounds, in a country as affluent as ours, and a time as affluent as ours, it's not that uncommon. We hear about lottery winners who are more isolated and depressed than ever. About celebrities Like Robin Williams, who after he wins the Oscar, says the high only lasted a week. Now, you may not feel like you have it all today. And yet, statistics tell us if you make over $37,000 a year, you are making more than 96% of the world's population. So congratulations, you're in the top 4% wage earners in the world. Now, I'm not bringing that up so we'll feel guilty. I'm bringing it up because having wealth is like that. It doesn't feel wealthy. It doesn't feel that satisfying. And that's the irony and the tragedy and even the opportunity that that wealth brings. People with it know better than those without sometimes what money can't do. Now, some of you, I'm hoping, familiar with the Bible stories of Jesus' life, you've already guessed who these three are. Yes, you're right. The rich young ruler is one of them. From Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Another one, Zacchaeus, the short man of uh, Luke chapter 19. And then third, Nicodemus, John chapter 3. So we're going to start with Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 19, Um When Jesus meets him, he's up a tree and maybe even out on a limb. It's not hard to feel that way when it comes to money, is it? I mean, Zacchaeus is is the one that people would see as filthy rich because he got his money the wrong way. He's a tax collector which means he's in collusion with the Roman invaders that have seized control of his nation. And now he is actually taking money from his countrymen on behalf of the oppressors. And it also means he's using the power of Rome's Rome's sword to do it, to make people pay. And what they knew about tax collectors, they were notorious for corruption, for hiking the rates and then skimming off whatever they could to keep for themselves. It was like legal extortion enforced by the Romans. And not only is Zacchaeus a tax collector, we're told that he is a chief tax collector in verse two, Luke 19, verse two. And he's been at it long enough to rise in the ranks to the top of his field, endearing himself to his fellow citizens like a, uh, a first century Bernie Madoff, who has made all of his money the wrong way at their expense. I bet his parents never dreamed that one day their little boy would be doing that, the one they named Zacchaeus, which in Hebrew means pure, innocent. But the day Jesus comes to town, he sees Zacchaeus up a tree, desperately seeking for something and invites himself over for a visit, conversation. Second scenario Nicodemus, John chapter three. Now he's not a rich young ruler. He's more of a rich old ruler. <laughs> he's a Pharisee. He's a member of the Sanhedrin, which the, was the Jewish high court in Jerusalem. He's like a senator who serves on the final court of appeals for the nation. He's ruling class, he's aristocrat, he's educated, he's affluent, he's part of the power elite, he's politically connected, and he is an elder respected who is now in his senior years. He's wealthy, but he probably got his money the right way, the old-fashioned way. He earned it, and God blessed him, and, uh, and yet something is gnawing on him. Something's eating at him, causing him to seek Jesus out under the cover of night, John 3 says, when nobody else will see him. And one of the most memorable things that Jesus ever says, he says in this conversation, you must be born again. Third conversation. A young adult, a very wealthy young man, comes to Jesus one day and he asks, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Mark chapter 10, verse 17. He's not asking, how can I go to heaven when I die? What he's asking is, how can I experience God's quality of life, an eternal quality of life in my here and now? This is a quality question he's answering. Nothing but the best for me. You know, I heard a guy one time on a significant birthday say, styrofoam will never again touch my lips. And it wasn't because he was all ecologically minded. It was because he was saying life is too short for him to ever again settle for less than quality in his life. Now, this young man, wealthy young man, a ruler, maybe a justice of the peace or that kind of magistrate, is looking for the highest quality experience available in this life. God's eternal quality. You know, quality never goes out of style. That's kind of the thinking that's going on. But the word he uses here for getting there is also significant. He says, how may I inherit this life? Now, you've heard of trust fund babies or someone being born with a with a silver spoon in his mouth. It may be this guy. I mean, he got his money the easy way. he hit the lotto by choosing the right birth parents but what's interesting again is that however he came into his money it's somehow not enough each man very wealthy and each one talking with Jesus about something that is missing in their lives What do you do when you have it all and still feel like it's not enough? Jesus in his conversation suggests raise your eyes to a greater prize. Raise your eyes to a greater prize. And he's saying the same thing to us. To those of us like Zacchaeus, he would say engage a greater pursuit than proving yourself through pride and profit. Now, everybody knows Zacchaeus is wealthy, but what is the driving force behind his acquisition of wealth? What motivates a man to not care what others think as long as he's the lead rat in the rat race? Maybe he was raised poor, in a good family, but poor, where to be good meant to be poor. Poor. So he decides this, I am not going to be poor like my daddy. I'm going to get rich, even if it means rejecting my good family's values. And so he does. Or maybe he's so tired of waiting for God to bless that he thinks I got to take things into my own hands. Or maybe he's an opportunist. He his opportunity and he seizes the opportunity and decides I gotta get while the getting's good. I mean, somebody's gotta do it, might as well be me. I mean, people have rejected me and ridiculed me, made fun of me for being short all my life, for being small all my life. I'm gonna show them who's small. They'll now know me as Mr. Big and Rome will help. How many people pursue wealth In fear of poverty or to escape ridicule, and somehow believe that profit will make that, will bring them life, will make them big. I'll be a millionaire by the time, before I'm 40. And then from the top of the hill, as king of the mountain, other people will look up to me, including my dad. They'll have to look up to me. And so there they are that day in Jericho, looking up to Zacchaeus, up a tree out on a limb in desperation, looking for more and doesn't know what more is, only that he hasn't found it in his proud pursuit of wealth. And so I'm wondering, is that what Jesus and Zacchaeus talked about that day? about the why behind the what in his life. What would Jesus talk to you about? With the Zacchaeus in all of us. Would he say that it's really not about the money, is it? That the more that we're searching for is found in a greater pursuit than seeking to prove something in pride, than being ahead of somebody else, than than being the controller of other people in life. That Zacchaeus was actually discovering what Jesus had taught, that it is possible to gain the whole world and yet lose your own soul. That you can be so full of yourself that you lose your sense of self your identity. And yet in that conversation with Jesus, a conversion comes to his heart. A change comes to his heart. Zacchaeus says in verse eight, I'm giving 50% of my stuff to not-for-profit causes to the poor. And I will make restitution to everybody I've cheated four times over what I stole. Boom. Wait a minute. What happened? You know, something has happened. Eyes on a greater prize has come to Zacchaeus. Here's what Jesus says, verse seven. Today, salvation has come to this house. And this man too is a son of Abraham. That's an identity statement. Jesus has helped Zacchaeus find his true identity, his real self. He had gotten all tangled up in proving himself through pride and profit. But now Jesus declares him part of the family of God. Son of Abraham, no less. Man, he's tight. His identity has been restored. What's driving you? Is it the thrill of the deal? Is it outmaneuvering the competition? Is it getting ahead of other rats in the race? Or is it truly the validation of your identity that you are longing for? that you're looking for. If it is, turn to Christ. Rivet your identity in the family of God through Christ. That's what Zacchaeus does. Now, if you've already done that, then take it to the next level like Jesus did and help somebody else find that out. You know, Lord, use me to help a Zacchaeus in my life. Open my eyes. To what? To don't let somebody's proud, hard exterior or somebody's ruthless pursuit of profit make you keep your distance. Your invitation to Christ's journey might be their ticket out of desperation and into their true identity in God's family. So keep engaging the conversation. Now in Nicodemus, Nicodemus came to Jesus as one familiar with power, as a Pharisee, he would know the power of knowledge, the power of a good education. As a member of the Sanhedrin, he would know the power of government, the power of governance, the power of body politic, the power of perseverance under Roman oppression. His knowledge of scripture had helped him see that Jesus' miracles must mean he had uniquely come from God. So he asked about them. To be a successful Pharisee and to serve on the Sanhedrin, you had to play by the rules. And Nicodemus knew that as we do that, money has power to help realize potential. His life was an evidence of that. And what does Jesus offer to those of us who know that? Here it is, experience a greater power than self-improvement greater than behavioral modification through self-discipline, greater than performance plan religion that's based on human power, a supernatural power, Jesus suggests. You must be born again, born of the Spirit, John 3, verse 3 and 5. so what Jesus is saying is, Nicodemus, instead of watching the miracles, why don't you just be one? Let me help make you a miracle to experience the miracle of the second birth. If you've been looking for money to empower the potentials of your life, here's what Jesus says. I've got something greater for you. Something greater than intellectual power, than political power, than human power. You can access your full human potential through God's supernatural power in Christ and be born again born of the Spirit. Have you done that? If not, do it now. Receive Christ by grace through faith. And if you've already done that, then share that gift with your friends and family like Jesus was doing. Invite them to Christ's journey this Easter and help raise their eyes to a greater prize. Well, What about those of us who find our purpose in the treasures of this life, storing up treasures, the quality of life, the comfort and the sense of security that money provides. Well, Jesus challenges the rich young ruler and each one of us to discover a greater purpose than trusting treasures on earth. This young man He most likely grew up with privilege and position, possession, I mean, position as well. But creature comforts were the norm of his childhood. And maybe you relate, but maybe you relate to this too. The sense that you have everything to live with, but you're still looking for something more to live for than stuff, than acquisition. Jesus looks at him, this is so profound. He looked at him and loved him. And said, One thing you lack go and sell everything you have and give to the poor. And then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Mark chapter 10, verse 21. And that's a verse to freak everybody out, isn't it? Do you ever wish Jesus didn't say that? We don't typically hear about people divesting themselves of all their wealth for the poor, do we? unless you've been paying attention to the uh, giving pledge initiative that has involved several billionaires i think 14 billionaires have signed on and several millionaires who have committed that before they die they are going to give away 99% of all of their wealth and it's not going to go to their kids people like warren buffett and bill gates and mark zuckerberg and sting and several others on that list and One of the motives seems to be so that my kids will develop a work ethic, the value. Now, Jesus said, go sell everything you have. Give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. It is not my belief that Jesus is making poverty a requirement for salvation. Or that following him requires you to do what he invited this young ruler to do. But here's what he's doing. He's giving that man the truest answer to his question. If you want a greater quality in life, then discover the greater purpose of life. Discover God's purpose and trust God as your source, as your supplier, as your inheritance and live out of his inheritance, his supply. Inheritance always comes after a death. If you want God's inheritance, then you've got to die to self. Die to pleasure, to security as your gods. These are goods in life, but they are not gods of life. So trust God as your God, and you will find the quality purpose that you seek. That's what he's saying there. Verse 20, that there is something in life that is worth giving it all up for. Verse 22, one of the saddest verses in the Bible. It says the man's face fell and he went away sad. Do you know that sadness? I mean, you you have a lot. You got a lot of stuff. Your garage is full of it too, but you're not happy. Or maybe you don't have a lot of stuff. And you know you're not happy. We're all choosing something. What do you do when what you are choosing isn't enough? Raise your eyes to the greater prize, greater pursuit than pride and profit, greater power than self-improvement, greater purpose than a temporary quality of life and its false security in this life. In each case, Jesus is pulling back the curtain of camouflage that money can be in hiding our deepest needs, our longing to be valued, our desire to be developed, our hunger to be secure. And in each case, he invites us to find it in God through him. Come to God through Christ. Now, none of us can make that decision for another, but every one of us can ask God to help us help each other. Raise your eyes to a greater prize. That's what the conversations are about. Now, may I offer a few practical ideas for that on this topic matter? Don't let what you perceive to be somebody else's affluence make you keep your distance. Don't assume that they are not feeling some need, some human need, and wouldn't be open to your friendship or your conversation or your invitation. Now, don't make your relationship with others about money, but don't let money define the relationship either. Don't let money stand in the way. In a way, in many ways, money is like a cloaking device that hides our hearts. Not only from others, but from ourselves. From our identity and significance needs. That's how you want to be seen. From our security needs. How, what control you want to feel over life. Your growth needs. How can you develop to become more in life? But what if at the end of the day, the desire for money isn't about money. But it's about something more. It's about what's going on in your heart. Isn't that what Jesus said? Augustine said it this way, thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless till it finds its rest in thee. Would you pray with me? Open our eyes wider, Lord, to see the greater things you have for us, to use money as a good but not our God, to help others find themselves in the pleasures of knowing you and not to settle for less or be distracted by the things around us. We pray today especially for people who are struggling financially and are seeking to trust money to do what really only you can do for them. Would you be their provider and their supplier and care for them? And would you use us, Lord, as instruments of your truth and peace to issue your invitation for them to trust you? And Lord, speaking of that, as you are calling people who are listening even now to faith in you from wherever they're connecting, if that's you, my friend, then let me offer a prayer that may be the ramp into the presence of God for you by grace through faith. Lord Jesus, I am uh, I'm accepting the challenge to lift my eyes, to raise my eyes to a greater prize. And I am trusting that in you, I can find access to God's riches, to my truest self, to my opportunity to become all that you would have me be. So I receive your spirit, forgive my sins, come into my life. I'm turning from my way to follow you in your way. Grant me the second birth and come alive in me, I pray. Now with our heads still bowed and our eyes closed, if you would allow us to offer a prayer for you, wherever you're making your connection with us today, if you're joining us online, there's an orange banner on the screen. You can click that. But at our physical campuses, if you would let us pray right now for you, then we have pastors in our congregations who are watching and praying as we lift our hands. Would you just lift them up? Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for every heart hungry for more. And thank you that you are the more that meets our heart cry for for the deepest needs of our soul. Fill each one with your spirit. Restore the joy of salvation to their lives and your blessing. May your blessing rest on them, your favor, as we make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.